Good day to all of our investors and guests. This is the Rudd Commentary Podcast. My name is Josh Rudd, and I'm the managing partner here at Steer Wealth. With me today is Jack Herr from our investment team and our very talented producer, Caitlin. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, Josh, great to uh, be on the podcast after the new year. Absolutely. For all of our new listeners who may not be familiar with who we are, at Steer Wealth, we manage investments for successful families, high-performing professionals, and organizations across the country, and become your wealth manager, confidant, and personal CFO, so you can relax and focus your time and energy on what's important to you. Well, Jack, I'm excited. The spring weather is finally upon us. Yeah, it's, uh, we had our ice storm here, which was a little bit rough, but we're past our yearly ice storm and we're ready to go get some better weather in. We are, but you know, as the pressures change and the weather changes, you know, we start to get some thunderstorms and rain and it's always really interesting what's going on here weather-wise. You know, we're always anticipating spring coming, but we've got to go through that transition, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I've got a question for you, Jack. Yeah, what do you have? So, um... You know, my kids were talking the other day, and, and I got to ask a really important question that I didn't have an answer to with all this rain coming through. Why does uh, Snoop Dogg always carry an umbrella with him? Well, I love a good Snoop Dogg reference. Uh, why is that? For the drizzle. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was pretty good. I think your joke's getting a little better, I'll admit it. Well, I hope so. Well, we've got a really uh, interesting program today, Jack. As you know, we're going to be focused on real estate investing, which really just from an investment and an asset class perspective, but it's been you know top of mind as interest rates have been changing. And a lot of folks have been looking at opportunities that they feel may be vanishing. We've got some great guests and experts in the residential real estate field. So I'm really, really looking forward to this program today. But before we do, Jack, as always, why don't you take us into the trading room and give us a quick update. Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to start with performance so far this year and then just give some broad context into what's happening in the real estate market before our guests come on, like you said. But starting with the performance thus far, January was really a continuation of the bounce back we had in the Q4 of last year, right? We talked about a real strong rally off the lows and starting in September and going through the end of the year. And January was no different. I think the market was up about 4 to 8%, depending what index you're looking at. And the names that really led the way were some of those growth investments. So talked about certain growth investments and ones that did really well in 2020, 2021, and suffering some pretty big drawdowns. We saw those continue to rally off their lows of last year. And I think it's just something to remember. We talked a lot about how we don't think we're out of the woods yet, right? You know, the economic downturn is here. We've had our struggles. Inflation isn't going away yet. And if we fast forward into February, I think the market got a little bit of a reality check. We lost some of the gains for the year. We're still positive in some indexes, but Josh, inflation's still high, came in a little hotter than expected in February. And what we continue to say on this podcast is starting to see some positive signs, especially in the market, but uh, there's still some struggles there. And this is part of a, a bear market. You know, you have these rallies, you go up and down. Not everything's like COVID where, you know, we had that big rally and everything was over within three months. I think both of us still expect a lot of up and down, us to take a little bit to figure out some things, especially on the inflation front, the Fed's doing with interest rates. But uh, that's a that's a pretty good picture of where we're at right now. You know, Jack, I just have one big question that hit me as I'm watching uh, the consumers adjust to, you know, higher interest rates and the stimulus checks going away. The big question I have in my mind, Jack, is how many streaming services are consumers actually willing to pay for? Yeah, it seems like uh, you, there's about 10 right now you can buy and 
you know, five, ten dollars a month, that starts to add up. So that was one of the big asset classes that we've seen really, uh, really rebound uh, at the beginning of this year. We've seen a lot of those uh, companies do really well. So I'll be very interested to see what happens uh, throughout the year. Yeah, so we'll keep on monitoring that. But again, yeah, February was a, a bit of a reality check. We saw the Federal Reserve stick to their script. They want to decrease inflation, um, not at all costs, but pretty aggressively. It's here to stay. That's just a reality of the situation. And on that note, I'd just like to give our investors a, a look into how we've responded. So, Josh, we've talked about those high quality of investments and, and sticking to those during times like this. And it's still important, right? We want to stick to quality despite you know recent price movements, maybe in some of the higher growth names. That doesn't mean we can't stick to our plan. And so we talk all the time about free cash flow, dividends, uh, pricing power in the market. And as long as inflation's here, those things are going to keep being important. So we're continuing to look at those investments here in our trading room. And uh, just something I thought I'd bring up as some insight into our response to some of the challenges we've had uh, in the economy so far this year. And Jack, I agree. And some of the ideas that I've seen coming from you with all these balloons floating around are really just a lot of defense and cyber defense names. You know, We've been really interested in that space. We think there's a lot of technology there and opportunities for growth. Yeah, Josh, absolutely. And one other thing is just with some of the struggles of the consumer that we've had last year and continuing into this year, we talk about inflation, right? Not staying away from those consumer heavy companies, those discretionary, those tech companies that really rely on the consumer, but just being wary of some of the expectations there. And like you said, the high quality companies, maybe some defensive sectors that typically aren't as affected by the direct consumer. So we know everything in this economy kind of goes back right to the consumer, but it's important when the consumer may be suffering a little bit, paying more, tighter budget, that we make sure we don't run into any landmines out there with some of that consumer spending. Absolutely. And just to kind of close that loop, I've been really interested in watching how the employers have been really containing a lot of the wage cost increasing, which I've been really impressed. They've been able to do that with inflation where it's in. So I think the the consumer, as you were implying there, it may be still struggling to keep up with those rising prices. I mean, the wage gains, I just don't think have have kept up. Yeah. And uh, you can't uh, keep charging your credit card forever. So that's uh, one thing. Eventually, I think the consumer uh, shows some weakness there. So Jack, you and I, as our listeners know, can talk about this all day long. But uh, what do you say we we start uh, tiptoeing into this topic for today? Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to give our listeners here some context into the real estate market. It's actually really interesting when you look at the real estate market versus the stock market and how each one is kind of trading on interest rates and what they're doing, right? That's that's the most important thing. And a big part of that is just market expectation and demand. So in late September is when the 30-year mortgage rate peaked. It was around seven and a quarter to seven and a half percent in most areas. And in January, we actually saw that number bottom out around 5%. And what we saw with demand is it picked up a little bit. It picked up about 8 to 9% month over month. And we saw some people actually getting into the housing market and um, you know buying some homes. And that mortgage demand, like I said, it increased quite a bit. Now, February is a little bit of a different story, just like the stock market, how we, um, we rose in January and we had some trouble in February. We saw that home demand ease a little bit in February. Rates returned to more of the six and a half and seven range um, on that 30-year number. And that was due to what we just talked about. The Federal Reserve came out, took a more aggressive stance. Inflation came in higher than expected. So demand came back down to normal. I think the real estate market suffered a little bit of a reality check as well. And so while we saw that one month spike, I don't expect 
expect that to be a long-term trend, at least until we get past some of this inflation that's uh, been hurting us this year. Oh, no, that you're, you're spot on. And something I want to remind our listeners of, so everybody listening to this program that's under the age of about 55 or 60 really probably doesn't remember or uh, think about the last time we went through this inflationary spike and where interest rates went and how expensive it was to buy and service home debt. So that's something that we're definitely keeping our eyes on and that does have an impact on the overall demand for single-family homes. And I think, Jack, uh, that point is well taken. The Red Commentary is brought to you by Steer Wealth. At Steer Wealth, our sophisticated team becomes your proactive wealth manager, your confidant, and personal CFO. So relax and focus your time and energy on what's important to you. Contact us today at info at steer.com. That's info at S-T-Y-R-E dot com. Well, before we uh, get rolling, Jack, I just wanted to set context. We're going to be talking about and what we consider an alternative asset class today. And I just want to go through a few points for our listeners before we get started and introduce our outstanding guest today. So, Jack, when you think of residential real estate, I mean, what just as a normal consumer, what do you think about? I think about buying a home for myself, you know, looking at the, the costs that go along with that. Um, I think that's my main concern. So that's what most of us are trying to do, right? When we're younger, we get married, we definitely want to buy a home and we want interest rates to be low. A lot of times we don't think about that home as an investment unless we have parents that really drilled that into our heads, you know. Think about that as your first and your largest investment and a great way to increase your net worth over time. In fact, lately we've had all these products come out over the last 20 years trying to uh, get you to extract that equity, things like reverse mortgages and other things that are available today that we didn't have 20 years ago. But you're right, most people think about real estate or residential real estate for that first home uh, purchase that they have. So when we think about residential real estate as an investment, what do you think some of the benefits are to owning maybe that alternative asset class in addition to stocks, bonds, IRAs, your 401k, other types of investments? Yeah, I mean, I think about diversification. So it's always good to diversify your portfolio. We talk about that with our investments, but also pleasure, right? You can have two or three different properties. It could be nice to have that and have access to that for vacations. And Folks are listening. I didn't plan this. So Jack's doing a great job answering these questions today. So he's exactly right. You can live in it. You can enjoy them. You know, that utility component is outstanding. Diversification, I can't talk about that enough. It's wonderful. As you mentioned earlier, real estate does move with other asset classes in the economy. So it is still correlated in a positive way to, to stocks and other equity investments. But one thing that you'll hear if you watch the TV programs and listen to the radio shows about real estate investment, you'll hear about passive income. And so that's definitely over time can become a, a real advantage. And there's also some tax advantages, as, you, as I hope you hear from our guests today. There's some really substantial tax advantages if you work with your CPA and you have uh, a good professional that you're working with that you can uh, leverage and, and take advantage of. The last thing that I think is really timely, Jack, is just inflationary protection over time. Um, you know, history has shown that real estate does increase in value over time. And for those of you listening, it's not to say that there's not periods like in the 1980s where you can have these long periods of depressed prices and it could cause some challenges. Uh, but over time, uh, real property has been a, an effective hedge against inflation, which leads me to my next point before we get started. What are some of the risks, Jack, that you think from uh, trying to get started and and own uh, large pieces or you know small single-family homes as opposed to stocks, bonds, and and uh, cash things like that. 
Yeah, well, as a trader, the first thing that comes to mind is liquidity, right? So when I want to buy or sell a stock, I can go do that pretty easily on the market. There's there's always buyers and sellers everywhere. Whereas in real estate, you know, you always have that fear in the back of your mind that you're going to get locked in and it's going to be hard to get out. Or if you have to get out, it's going to, there's going to be quite a bit of a cost to that. So that's that's my main risk. Spoken like a true investment professional uh, to our listeners. Jack is focused on liquidity and and for you as our listeners, you should too. And, and just realize that, you know, we've had this massive tailwind over the last 15 years of low interest rates. I mean, we've pretty much borrowed zero and gone out and bought assets. Rents have been rising. We've had over 90% occupancy in, in residential homes. I mean, it's you know, being in the right place at the right time is one thing, but this has been really the dream market for anybody that's wanted to get started in real estate. And it hasn't always been the case. So I just want to make sure our listeners understand that, that there are definitely risks in owning real estate. So, you know, you could run into a recession, you could have low occupancy uh, location, you know, if you buy a property, whether it's residential, commercial, industrial in the wrong location, that can change very quickly. You know, crime, you know, we've seen a lot of these cities, uh, even recently has really become a problem. Think about some of these folks that have owned commercial and industrial properties, you know, in, in Baltimore and Chicago and some of these areas with very high crime, you know, that could definitely be an issue. The last thing I want to mention before we get started is just the concept of leverage. So not only is, is a piece of property, as Jack said, the most illiquid asset that you could possibly own, right? I mean, I could sell my home tomorrow. I'm just not getting the price I want for it, right, Jack? Right. And so it does take time to sell a home. But the last thing is uh, leverage, which is borrowing. You know, with most assets, stocks and bonds that Jack and I manage here, you know, if the price goes down, the price just goes down. We didn't borrow money to buy them. The, the challenge with real estate is that if you're borrowing 90 to 95% of the value of that real estate and the price does decline and you need the money, uh, you can be in a tough spot and you could be, you know, forced to sell an asset, you know, when you don't want to. So that's something that you be, need to be very careful with. But uh, real estate is an outstanding asset class uh, for diversification. That passive income we talked about, inflation protection, has the possibility of having many tax advantages. We are so excited to uh, talk about this today. And with that, I would like to introduce our guests, Kevin and January Seaton. Hey, how are y'all? Good. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Well, you're welcome. Well, before we get started, I think that our listeners are going to be most interested in y'all just telling us really your background and a little bit about yourself. So we got into residential real estate by happenstance. I had a home and Kevin had a home before we got married. So once we got married, we had these two houses and we were like, okay, well, what do we do with them? Do you want to sell them? Do we move into a new home? Do we move into one of these? What are we going to do? Yeah. Well, we decided to move into an entirely different home and keep both of our homes as rental real estate. Oh, wow. And so it became where we kind of forced ourselves into this whole market and it became part of our lives. So I rented out my house, he rented out his. We got a whole new house, started our married life together, and we became instant landlords. <laughs> so how did that go, that first dive into uh, becoming a landlord and having to, you know, collect rent payments and maintain homes and all that good stuff? It was challenging at times, but it was great. It was something that we just kind of learned, never had a course over it, never read any books over it at the time. And surprisingly, it worked out great. We just went to the local hardware store, got a sign, stuck it in the yard, and just said, we're going to jump in feet first. So we definitely had some up and downs, 
we can go over those, some of our horror stories and some of our great stories, but we loved it then and we love it now, you know. And my background was firefighter for years, and I first got interested in real estate when doing lawn maintenance on my days off from the firehouse. I had a uh, client at the time, a little old man who was living by himself. His wife passed away years before, and I was mowing his yard one day, and he came out and he was all dressed up. He spoke to me a little bit, and I asked him, I said, well, what do you have planned the rest of the day? And he said, well, I have some rent houses and today's the day that I go and collect all the rent from everyone. I asked him how many houses he had at the time, and I believe it was probably 10. And I just started doing the math after he left to go collect the rents for that day. And I just started thinking, wow, what if he's getting $1,000 a month for each house? And here this guy is that's got everything paid for. He doesn't have any bills, and he's fixing to go out and collect $10,000 today. And he didn't have to do anything. So yeah. my wheels started turning, and I started thinking, wow, what a really cool deal. I had no clue how to do this, no clue what it even looked like. I just thought, good for him. I was really impressed by this. So we continued on with the uh, lawn business and being an entrepreneur and doing the firefighter thing. And then fast forward, like January said, when we got together and we had a chance of deciding what we wanted to do with one of these homes that we owned, and we thought, now's our chance to do it. So we just jumped off into this thing and never looked back. And it became really addictive. I would say that me and Kevin are minimalist at heart, but when it comes to houses, we are hoarders and collectors. So it just really became an addiction. And I don't know why, but I think it was because we could see it, we could feel it, anything we put into it improved that investment, and it was just real life cash flow. And so once we did our due diligence and realized our first two houses before we got married were going to be residential real estate and we were going to be investors, then we thought, well, why don't we keep on? What a great story. And also, you were able to do that while you had other jobs. Right. Right. That's the beauty behind real estate. You can jump off into it full-time or part-time. A lot of people will invest in real estate and buy a few homes or multifamily properties and not have to work it as a 40-hour work week type thing. And they're able to work this while being employed somewhere else. And another thing I'm thinking as you're talking is all the young people out there that are really debating on what to study in school, what to do with their life. And if you're successful and you're a hard worker, this is something that you can do. Oh, absolutely. You know, our daughter is a senior in college right now, and we have get a lot of her friends that go, hey, I don't mean to poke and, and prod too much, but how can we be like you? What would you do different? And my first thing I tell them is get into real estate as quick as you can, and don't hesitate to reach out to us if you have any questions. But I don't care what kind of real estate it is. Just get in it. Start learning it. There's a hundred different ways, if not more, ways to make money with real estate. I think everybody's just hesitant about jumping off because they don't know how. They don't know where to start. I love talking to the younger generations about investing in real estate and different ways they can do it. And some of them come up with ways that just blow my mind of how creative they can be with this. Well, that's so exciting for me. So that's a great place to start. After you had those first two homes, where did you start? What was your first purchase that wasn't a home that you had lived in? Tell us a little bit about that. And was that scary? Tell me about that. It was our first one that we purchased that wasn't one of our houses was five houses down from one that we that we own that we were living in. And it was a lady that came down and caught me mowing the yard one day. And she said, hey, I just moved 
And I said, yeah, I haven't seen you around. And she said, well, I've been renting my house down here to someone and they haven't paid me rent in two months. I said, okay. And she said, I'm about to lose the house and it's going to go against my credit and I can't afford to make the payment. I'm kind of scared of this guy and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, what are you wanting to do? She goes, do you know anybody that would like to buy it? And I said, well, maybe, you know, we might want to buy it if we can work out a deal. And what do you want for it? And she goes, right now, I just want to get out from underneath it and get away from this deal. I don't want my credit to go bad. And I said, well, let's talk. So we sat down and we talked to her and we said, uh, how much do you owe on it? And she got the payoff and sent it to us. And we all sat down and we said, what if we purchase your house for your payoff? And you don't have to talk to this guy that won't pay you any rent and won't answer your phone calls or anything. You can be done with it. It was a blessing to her. And she said, yes, let's do it. So we did. We purchased the house. I assured her she wouldn't have to talk to this guy. She was scared of him. And we purchased the house, closed on the house, gave her some more money to kind of get her back up on her feet. And then we went down and knocked on the door the day after closing. And he answered the door and I introduced myself and I said, hey, this is who I am. We now own the house and I need you to get all your stuff and get out. Surprisingly and luckily, he didn't give any pushback. And it was within 48 hours, had all his stuff out. He was a truck driver, so he didn't have a whole lot in the house. Grabbed his stuff, moved out. And then I think that was on a Wednesday, if I remember correctly, because I do know that next Friday night and Saturday and Sunday, January and I were both in there rolling up our sleeves, painting, ripping out out carpet, doing everything to get it uh, rented. Because all we knew was, we're now paying for this house and we yeah. gotta we gotta get somebody in there quick and no one's gonna want to get in here until we paint the walls and put new carpet and do everything in there so at the time we didn't have crews to do that we didn't have people it was yeah. us and we worked into the evening and we would order in dinner and eat there on the floor and work until i had to go back to work and she had to go back to work so a lot of sweat equity a lot of sweat equity in the first few deals but it was worth it a lot of people aren't willing to do that and i think that's what it takes you can hire all this stuff out but i'm a firm believer in any business you get into you need to know all aspects of that business before you start outsourcing this and that's exactly what we did would i want to go back and do it again like that today at our level probably not i'm a little bit older and hopefully we're a little bit wiser but Am I scared to do it? No. Now I try to work a little bit smarter than harder. Back in the day, I mean, it was us doing the flooring, the the painting, the ripping out the carpet, clearing out the trash, clearing out tenants that didn't want to pay. So we did it all. That was our first deal that wasn't one of our houses that we owned previously. So it worked out great for us. Luckily, we didn't have to go through the eviction process with him. He just grabbed his stuff and went on his way, but that was the most memorable deal since it was our first one that we actually purchased to become an investment property. What a great story. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking, you know, I can do that. I'm willing to roll out my sleeves, do the hard work. I'm willing to go out and look for real estate opportunities out there. Talk a little bit about funds and capital. And if I'm listening to the program today and I don't have the capital uh, to go out and buy pay cash for a house, how are the banks to work with on these types of transactions? On lending and working with banks in your first deal, the first, and here's what I tell all new investors, your first one's probably your most important. And if I could go back, I would do it different. As an investor, most properties, you have to put 20 to 25% down for an investment property. When you buy a home as a new homeowner, you have to put anywhere from three to 5% down. And you are able to get 
a home or a property up to five units, so five doors or less for 5% down. So if I was to start over again, my first purchase would be a quadplex or in a small multifamily unit with five doors or less because I get to put less down. Working with banks has been great because banks love to lend on something they can see on real estate. And when they see a deal that you take to them to loan on it, they're very excited because they'll do an appraisal, they'll see how much it's worth. If you're buying this property, especially if it's distressed for under what it's worth, they'll give you money all day long. And that's one thing we love about real estate. You put in very minimal amount of your money and use the bank's money to buy real estate. And there's not too many investments that we're aware of where you can barely put in any of your money and they'll give you a lot of their money. So the risk is really taken off of you and it's more on the bank. So it's very, very smart to use the bank's money. A lot of people are like, I don't have 200 or 300,000 to go purchase a house for cash. You don't need it. The bank's gonna give you a lot of this money. Where you have to be smart and diligent is finding the deals. And when I say finding the deals, you can't just get on the website one night and start looking through houses. It's gonna take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals for you to look and analyze, see what the rents are going for in the area, to be able to purchase these homes. And when I mentioned distressed properties earlier, those are the best. Because you can buy a distressed property, very cheap, roll up your sleeves at the beginning, put in that sweat equity, Go back to the bank and say, hey, I bought it for this, I put all this into it, I want it reappraised. Once they do another appraisal, they find out now it's worth a lot more than they gave you to begin with. So what you can do now is pull that money out, refinance that, and pull that money out to go do another deal and another deal. And you just keep using that to make you more money and invest your money going forward. So I always mention it as a snowball effect. It starts off small, one or two homes, and before you know it, you're looking up and you have 10 homes and 15 homes because it's like a snowball. As it keeps going, it just keeps accumulating more and more and more. To work with banks, it's great. They love real estate. They love a lot of different forms of real estate. We have never been turned away for any anything we've asked for. And we own multiple homes, multifamily homes, boat and RV, storage. So they're very excited to lend on real estate compared to a lot of other things like starting a small business or something like that. And if we could go back and we didn't have our own houses and it wasn't our first deal and we could put up to 5% down, us paying now to hard money lenders 20% is a good deal for us since we already have our primary resident, then anything addition to that is considered an investment property. So we're lucky to put 20% down. That is kind of the standard right now, unless you go with a traditional lender and then it's up to 25%. So if we could go back in time and buy our first one, we would buy as many doors as we could for that 5% down because you essentially could house hack, which means you could live there. All those other doors are paying your mortgage and some, you have that additional cash flow, which allows you to even generate more and more real estate down the road because you only have that one certain point in life that you can get up to 5%, then everything else is 20 to 25. So if we could go back and we had that opportunity, that is one way that we could really have scaled further and faster. What a great recommendation too for 
younger investors sure. who don't have the commitments, right. don't have the large families, and don't have all the things they're you know that come along with getting older and more successful and, and wiser, as we talked about earlier. But I'm interested. I want to take this in a different direction. But I would like to know, in your experience over the last 15 years, have there been any good or bad times to invest or not invest in real estate? Anything that you've seen that's thrown up any red flags or that's you know been an opportunity where you're just jumping up and down, pounding the table, saying, we got to put more money in? Can you walk me through both of those scenarios, the good, bad, and maybe the ugly? I think with Kevin and I, we never time the market because there are deals to be had at any time. We have been lucky enough to help people in times where they have gone through death or divorce or debt. And we call them the 3Ds because we've been approached by all of those. And it helps their credit because most people are concerned about credit and starting their lives over and making sure that they have something down the road that they can, that, that hasn't, I guess, followed them so they can start anew. They can have another house. They can have that credit back. So we've been approached with people. And so we have always found deals in the market. And with us, we are buy and hold investors. So we will not sell. We are long-term investors. So our philosophy is don't time the market, just find the best deals in the market. Because if you do try to time the market, we have tons of friends that have not started because they are waiting for prices to drop. And as far as I know, if you're not finding those deals, prices have not drastically dropped. And you can't time the market, no one can time the market. But we, make our money at the buy. And if you look at each individual deal like you should and take the market aside, take that deal, look at what you can get for today's rent, then you're going to make the best decision. Otherwise, if not, then you're just looking for what everybody else is in a retail market. And our other philosophy is the 1% rule. Of course, I have a spreadsheet that tells me what the best deal of is. Of course. And it has tons of tons of dimensions for vacancy, capital cost, utilities, insurance. It deducts all of that out so we make sure that we are getting cash flow. But when you look at the 1% rule, it shows you that your rent needs to be at least equal to or less than the sales price of that home. And that keeps you in a grounded state of mind so that you aren't overbuying, that you're not an emotional buyer. You're not in the heat of everybody's buying and I'm not. Highest and best by five. All of that, you're grounded. It keeps you grounded on if you are an investor, your money is made at the buy. You need to do it by your parameters, what you've set aside that will get you cash flow and stay focused and not get in the emotional hype of retail markets, highest and best, all that goes on in the market. And that's just really kept us grounded. I think the example that you gave, waiting for the right deal, waiting for the right time, really plagues a lot of individuals. I mean, the best time to invest is when you have the money to invest, really, at the end of the day. And real estate transactions are made on the buy, but generally all investments, right? You evaluate the investments, you look at cash flow. Isn't it amazing the maintenance cost or the cost of holding an investment is less sometimes if you just leave it alone and let it cash flow Mm -hmm. and throw off that cash you put in all the work up front Kevin like you were talking about you roll up your sleeves and you buy the distressed property that maybe scares off some other investors and you go in and you 
make it pretty and and you end up renting it for 25 years right right what a great formula one of the best things that i've ever heard in this industry is uh, don't wait to buy real estate buy real estate and wait and I just love that philosophy because I think it allows people to really get out there and make purchases instead of waiting for the best timing because is there really any best timing in life? <laughs> no, no, you just just start. I always tell people it's two words, just start. Like you said, in any kind of investment, whether it's real estate or anything like that, you have to start. And there's so many people that are fearful to get started. But if they'll just start, then you'll, you'll be okay. It's just going to have to take a little bit. I couldn't agree with you more. And the time value of money really starts kicking in over time. That cash flow starts compounding and again and again, and the snowball gets bigger and bigger. And I always laugh when we've talked before on this program that Albert Einstein said the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. I mean, it's just, you know, if you sit long enough, it just, you know, it starts the snowball effect that we sure. talk about and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's outstanding. And I know that our listeners have, have really learned a lot. One thing that I like before we wrap up is just, Looking back from the the level of success that you're at now, you've talked a lot about getting started. Is there any other advice that you'd give to younger investors or new investors or somebody that's maybe at your point that just hasn't started yet? Is there anything else, any other advice that you'd give them? I um, heard a story one time about a guy who bought one house a year and he bought a second house the second year. And by the time 10 years passed, he had 10 houses and it was exactly what Kevin said that guy did he was collecting a thousand a month on 10 houses so he had 10,000 a month that he was making and it told the story about how he just waited 30 years and they were all paid off and all he did was go and collect his 10,000 a month because he ran the marathon not the sprint and it is just buy and hold and wait and you'll wake up one day and all of your tenants have paid off that investment that you just put 20% down on. Oh, that's really good advice. And it's probably no uh, surprise that one of the characteristics that you and January share is patience and success. And, and that's one of the big drivers of the, the time value money formula. And the earlier you can get started, the better. And I would encourage everybody that that formula works. I mean, if you have 10 years to retirement, you've got time for money to compound. It's not too late to get started, and if you haven't gotten as far as you want, I think our guests have shared with us today, you you can make that happen, and so don't wait. I think I can speak for all of our listeners that uh, what a great program today. Thank you for sharing everything with us, and hopefully you've gotten a lot of good pointers and a lot of good advice on this program to go out and get up off the couch and uh, start looking at some homes, rolling up your uh, sleeves, and getting some work done, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. We're very thankful to be here and thankful for you and your team as well. So. Yes. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Wonderful. Well, Jack, what a great segment. Yeah, really interesting to see how they built their real estate portfolio. And as a young investor, it's definitely given me a few things to think about. Well, I feel this topic, uh, like you, it interests a lot of investors. But I want to reach out to our listeners uh, with a couple of points. Remember, before taking any action on any investment ideas that you hear on our program, including residential real estate, please reach out to a qualified and experienced advisor or contact us here at Steer Wealth. We'd be glad to help you navigate various investment options. Make sure they're appropriate for you so you can work towards your long-term financial goals. And thank you all for taking the time to listen today. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, please take the time to rate our podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform, and never miss an episode. 
Also, if you know any other investors who would enjoy the show, please share the Rudd Commentary podcast through email or on social media. We also like feedback on our program and ideas for future topics. If you have the time, we would love to hear from you. All of us here at Steer Wealth would like to thank you, our investors and clients, for your trust. Thank you for allowing us to be your partner in your long-term financial journey. We take our role very seriously. Thank you very much for listening today. This is the Rudd Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd. And from all of us here at Steer Wealth, invest long and prosper. This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.